Welcome back, y'all. Howdy. You're listening to Beyond the Official Narrative on Republic Broadcasting Network. This is not Richard Carey. This is Stephen Douglas Widener. It's February the 1st. This is Hour 2 of Beyond the Official Narrative uh, RBN. And I thank y'all for joining me. I have uh, the host of the Saturday Night Snack Shack, Mr. Frederick Blackburn, BB9, here with me as a riding shotgun. And I think I still have Bill in Kentucky on the line, too. Bill, are you still there, sir? Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, I'm still. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. Well, the the, the break cuts you off. Let me let me let me toss it back to you. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Uh, I'll just use two more examples, kind of like you know, like Boone and Ashland, and then of course John. You mentioned Berea too. Now, let me let me let me ask. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but let me ask you this: Berea, I got a completely different uh, point of view. You know, I didn't think it was all lefty back in the seventies when, when I got mail from there, but I've never been there. You know, is, is it, it's even that way too. Cause I was just shocked. Bob Jones university had, had turned that way, but yes, sir, go ahead. Oh, oh, Berea has been a lefty school, but it's extremely beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful town, beautiful college. And a lot of these towns, the seven, a lot of these like small to middle sized towns, they have a university or a, or a college, but, you know, there's a, that brings in a lot of stuff that you know the area would would not would not normally have. Even like a community college close to where I live at, I mean, you know, it, it brings it brings a little prestige. You know, that's that's a good thing about something like that. But the bad thing about it is they brings all these freaks and weirdos from God knows where. You know, I, I guess that's very condescending to say that, but you know, but you know, and like I was telling you about Maryville there. Maryville, Tennessee. It was most of the people there were white. I did. I did. Well, like anywhere else, you saw some non-white people, but mostly it's white. But they were either from California or from New York, you know. And it, it, they were all. I guess they were down there trying to buy stuff that you know was cheaper. I, you know, which I don't really care it's, as long as they don't bring that crazy left-wing politics. <clears throat> That's the biggest thing. I have a problem with people like that come in. It's like Kentucky. There's. Red River Gorge and some of these places like that, they come, I was, you know, they'll, they'll bring all that crazy. Well, I'll tell you a couple other towns that are like that. That's Fayetteville, Arkansas has that University of Arkansas, and then over uh-huh. in Virginia, not too far where you guys are. What is that place called? Blacksburg, Christiansburg, where you got that Virginia Tech, man. It's, it's you know, it's, it. I, I mean, I'm going on and on, I guess, about nothing <clears> there, but it's, but well, like, listen. Let me let me let me point. Let me point. So I remember something that you said that it brings it along with you when they have that in a college town. I remember them sending those quote unquote. I'm, I, I forgot how you put it. Freaks and weirdos or something, but lefty politics to the area. I remember back when I was in the seventh grade uh, here at. Uh, they had something called the Piedmont Schools Project that was a federal program, and every lefty freak weirdo there was in the country, I think, applied to join it and move here. And Because all of a sudden, when I was in the sixth uh, grade, I think it was uh, – yeah, from the sixth – no, it was maybe the fifth they started it, but especially in the sixth through there, five-year program from, I think, uh, 70 to 75 maybe or maybe – a. But it was it, it just federal money, and they were they were paying to try to change us, bring us here, and fix us. You know that's that makes me even matter. I mean, if there's a, a, a university there, you know the NGOs are sending the money to them differently. But this federal money is money they tax us with, and now they're coming. You know, it just it gets infuriating, doesn't? It? Right. Hey, I have one other point I want to make. You you were talking about 
and I'll leave you alone. You were talking about Jews. I don't want to get pro or anti-Jew or any of that stuff. I really don't want to get into that. But but if the if the Jewish people, you know, they're generally they're white people. They, I mean, they may have a little slightly different appearance. Some of them do, but if if they're wanting to replace all the white people with, say, people from Africa and different places, wouldn't they? Uh, isn't that kind of self-destructive to the, to them too? I mean, because there's like like you, some of them they might not see it as a Jew versus Gentile or whatever. They just see a whitey or a cracker or a honky. I guess exactly. you use the term, you know. And and I just to me that would be like self-destructive to them. I, I don't know. And there there's another one of these shows. I'm, I believe the person that dislikes Jews more than anybody I've ever seen. I don't know if Hitler could. And this like them anymore was there's another show that lady that comes on Saturday. I like to listen to her. She's kind of a little bit different, but Denise Marcello. I don't know if you know who I'm talking oh. about, but she she has a show on Saturday. I listen to her sometimes. She's kind of interesting. But there's a guy called Io Kamapi that is on there every once in a while. And man, he I, I don't know that Hitler would hate Jews any more than him. He, he, <laughs> and he's black. Well. You know, he's African American. But anyway, I'm. Uh, I have to say that you're right about being people being confused with you know thinking that it's a white person and anti-white, and then it's always whatever's more convenient for the person to identify as. Then, if uh, you know, if they want, I've seen that on Twitter over and over again. A person will post all of this awful stuff about uh, white people, and they're that they look white and it's anti-white stuff and then when somebody says something then they'll say but i'm not white you know it just they will try to come off as like they're i've seen that a lot but this guy i I don't know that person and 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 i i had do know who you're speaking of with uh janice though marcello i've I've heard heard her once i think okay frederick yeah i didn't i didn't mean to get off on that tangent there it's just Mm. it's just but there's a it seems like, a, a, rightly or wrongly or whatever, it seems like there's a lot of people that of different, I mean, I'm talking about different nationalities and different ethnic groups and whatever else. Man, they, they really have it for in for the Jews, you know what I'm saying is, and it's, so I, I don't know what, you know, I don't, you guys know more about that stuff than I do, but I don't know what, but they, they must have really pissed, excuse the words, piss somebody <clears throat> off, you know, you know. <laughs> And I've I've heard you I've heard different things you know about so I I'm kind of out well, of my league talking about that. <laughs> I try to be more specific, you know. But I was I saw something that Brother Nathaniel posted the other day that him and Alex Jones had this nice conversation and debate, and that was interesting to me. I have not I I, know, I had not heard anything. He's you know who that is that brother Nathaniel guy. Uh, he's been yeah, on I've RBN before. I don't know anything about yeah. him other than I've well, he's the name, he's, but... he's he's Jewish, but he's a, uh, uh, a uh, Orthodox priest and talks about it a lot. And then he went off for a while when this all this thing happened in Gaza. He said he had to skedaddle or something. I don't know exactly what happened with all that. But then I saw him on with Alex Jones the other day, and I thought, okay, well. You know, this. I think that that whole anti-Semitism thing is a Jewish industry. A lot of ways, there's a website called Henry Macau that I read quite often. Talks about the sedition trials that happened back during World War II, uh, 
And I think a lot of things that are going on right now, especially in the way January 6th is being handled and and uh, laws are being changed, it echoes that a lot. And it's used in a lot of different ways to scare one set of people and control another. And, and meanwhile, the same masters of war, the Chabad, the gangsters, the ones that are the, the masters of money, they're there in controlling and playing you and him fight, you know? Let, let me let you hand, uh, speak a little bit, Frederick. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great points. I've enjoyed listening to both of you. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, that's the thing about DNA and, you know, information now that we can tell that, you know, we may look like Jewish people, but there's very big differences at a low genetic level between traditional European people and Jewish people, especially the Ashkenazis. So, yeah, there is a difference, but, you know, know, so many of us, we just saw white people, and, you know, we were talking about music earlier and, you know, act Hollywood and everything, and it just kills me to go through all these records of people I just loved as a kid, and it's like, oh, my God, they weren't white, they were Jewish. Oh, my God, they weren't white, they were Jewish, you know? And this had, you know, you find that it wasn't all you know, nice stuff that was in a lot of that music. And uh, the other thing I loved when you're talking about Maria, because one of my favorite nieces growing up went to Berea College in the heart of Appalachia because it was designed for children of the Appalachian region who were gifted but didn't have a lot of money. And so she, of course, got scholarship, and it completely ruined her and turned her into the angry feminist redhead meme that you always see. As every time I see one of those memes of the liberal you know, redhead or blue-haired girl screeching, it's like that's what Maria College did to my wonderful niece. And it was founded in 19, excuse me, 1855, in the heart of the Appalachia Mountains, this is 10 years before, you know, the Civil War, of course, and it was set up to be, from the beginning, a co-educational and racially integrated experiment in the heart of Dixie, and that was the thing that they were going to bring all the people together into college and educate them, and their motto is, God has made of one blood all peoples of the earth, right? So this is this whole Globo Homo thing that was started in 1855 under this banner of, you know, this is our version of what Christianity is all about. It's, you know, what would later become as the Clergy Plan. But uh, they boast that they incorporate uh, students from 40 states and 70 other countries, right? And so it's just, you know, again, in the heart of Berea, and, you know, I would just be very curious to see what it's like these days from when I used to go visit my niece when she was there in the 80s. So back to you. Yep. Maybe yeah, I'll I'll have I'll that, just... um, Berea confused with another place. I mean, did they have, was part of the, Education when they went through there that they would make this woodworking um, uh, thing, this project during their. I mean, I know that sound may sound awful, but maybe I have it confused with another place because that doesn't sound like the same place. But my memory, you know, for shizzle, y'all. I'm sorry, Bill. Go ahead. No, no, it, it is it is a beautiful. I mean, it's as pretty as an Ivy League 
campus, just, just the physical parents. The kids, for the most part, are very polite. You do, they have lots of diversity, if you want to call it that, lots, lots of different diversity. They got a great place called it's a Daniel Boone or something in, or Daniel Boone something there. And I forget what it's called, but Boone Tavern, that's it. Boone Tavern. And, and what, you know, it's, it's a good, but it's, it has a lot of that left wing crazy politics. So, and they kind of like what you were talking about that. The one girl went up there. I could see where that would kind of, you know, change her attitude and her, and so forth. That okay. Well, if it was and if and being set up the way uh, you described it, I can see it turning out that way. But I'm still in shock over Bob Jones University. You know, it wasn't until uh, the 70s. Yeah, it's a religious school, and they would not allow um, um, interracial dating up after up until I mean, or that they were very controlling, you know, and and we didn't allow any black students till they were forced to. Uh, for and then it just it was formed in the twenties and and it was and, but for me to see that it's like that now it's just it, it shows where how much we've changed you know just just like you were saying uh, earlier how uh, people were not don't believe how it used to be we were told when we were younger I don't know how old you are Bill but me and Frederick like it was no, normal for one a guy man to work and his family to, wife to stay home and raise the kids and that he could have the house and the car and and, and support the whole thing with one income and we thought huh, everybody was working during the 70s both parents were always working they called them latchkey kids and by the 80s you know you know nobody remembered the way it used to be before all this stuff was engineered to collapse you know extract more revenue from us more control it's like they're fixing us y'all yeah <laughs> yeah i'm in my 60s yeah so you remember yeah oh yeah i, I remember that easy yeah that's a <laughs> well, I- well, I appreciate the call, sir. Anything else you, you'd like to say before? Well, yeah, I, I hope I did. I hope I didn't sound stupid on some of that stuff. I no, just, you know, I just... no. <laughs> oh, no, but, good uh, call. Yeah. No, I appreciate you listening, sir. I really do. And um, I'm I've just been sitting here mostly trying to <clears throat> pick Frederick's brain. You know, going back to the things we remember, I and how things changed. You know, that's just kind of what what I've been thinking about since we talked about Soylent Green the other day. I remember Rollerball, too, back then. And things yeah, have turned. Rollerball. There is a mm-hmm. lot of esoteric riding mm-hmm. in Rollerball, yeah. And, and it's relevant to what's going on today, I think, with Trump being up there. It's like he's almost like that. They put up this hero like they did that guy that James Conn played in the thing. And it, this this arena, this it, the rollerball could be like a thing for politics even because it's, it's to my, remind you how futile things are or whatever. It's just you're not supposed to win this. It's just like that they do it now with the Hunger Games too. I saw that new yeah. Hunger Games movie, and it's in your face what they're doing to us. It's kind of like – I don't know. They're getting more and more in your face. It's, it, I hope enough people will wake up to do something, but so many of them don't remember how it used to be, and I don't know. We can't go back to what, what was. we got to find a different way to deal with each other and with these people controlling us. You know, I just – I let this beat me down a long time. You said it was 9-11, I think, that really woke you up, but it was way back Aquatech that – got me but it just it I, man I, I curled finally just curled up and bawled oh my god yeah what we're we gonna do and then somebody wanted to talk to me about it and i said okay well i'll talk about it again 
and I just hadn't been able to quit. And the thing we got to do is get together. People who are aware of this have got to talk to people and bring them together. We're not going to vote our way out of this. We got to be ready when things go down because they are going to keep changing. It's not going to be just instantaneous either. I don't think there's going to be like that. There's going to be a slow boil. They want to rile us up, get more people ready to go to their next war, and it'll be fighting for Israel as long as Netanyahu's in there. You know, that's, you know, unless they get rid of him and it's done for, you know, we're going to be that is NATO in the U.S. Now, you know, we're going to have to find a different way. Go ahead, Frederick. I always thought it was interesting that one of the symbols that the world Zionists use to describe this plan they have for us is the wine press where you're just slowly putting a little pressure on, a little pressure on, and you know, squishing the grapes down to you know, till they're bleeding out their juice. And this image of having the goyim under this wine press that's slowly being screwed down on them until we're crushed and our blood's gushing out and they're dancing in these rivers of blood of the goyim being pressed in these wine presses you know so it's like these are sick people <laughs> yeah, yeah i had no idea symbolism. man yeah i played that guys that rabbi talking there's this rabbi that we played on uh, i think it was on um this Stad Miller, old Stad Miller hour when I feel, and he was saying that we have no soul, and I was thinking they really believe that they have a soul. And we and the, these people, and I can't believe somebody would believe that man. If anybody got a soul, everybody does, you know. Even uh, it, that uh, just Talmud says. Talmud's very explicit about that. Did you yeah. see the call in the queue there? Oh no, I did not. Thank you yeah. for uh, pointing that out. I'm sorry. I, hey, listen. Thanks for the call, Bill. I appreciate yeah, you. And you guys have a fantastic evening. See you later. All right. right. Appreciate, appreciate it. You. you have a good one. Thank you. Man. All right. And next up, William in Minnesota. William, thanks for calling, sir. Uh, good evening. Um, thanks for taking my call. I, I wanted to um, talk about what's happening up here in Duluth, Minnesota, too, because, you, you know, it's not just the southern college towns that are taking a beating from the chicken swingers. We, I'm not sure if you've seen these uh, articles that come around, but back in about 2018, we had this Jewish guy named Jesse Keenan come up to Duluth, and he's going to tell us all about how we're, we're going to have climate migration up here to, in Duluth, Minnesota. And there's going to be like 80,000 people moving up here. And, and it's, you know, so this guy's like a, on some kind of sabbatical through the Federal Reserve. What, what's that all about? even though he's like an assistant professor down at Tulane. And he just so happens to have connections with the New York Times. Surprise, surprise. So he comes up here and gives his talk. And I was actually, that was when I just was getting aware. And, uh, yeah, for your previous caller, you know, with folks like that that don't know, I like to say it's not all Jews. It's Jews. And let's just see the way this, this whole thing played out. He comes up here, gives a talk. Nobody knows the angle that's happening. Next thing you know, we got a New York Times article, and and I watch, I keep track online, and since this guy's come up, this thing won't die, this climate migration thing, you know, in this area up here, it's like 97% white, it's one of the last places, I mean, I moved up here from Detroit for this very reason a long time ago, and, and the idea that uh, it was going to stay this way, hopefully, but the pressure just 
bearing down on this little town too and they've got the um you know the the nice working folks here are building multi-unit buildings all over town and you know it's like you know what these are going to be built for man you know what's happening it seems like everybody's walking in the dark there's some people that know around me but not enough wow that's so, but it's still, you said 97% white? I would say up there. Yeah, up here it is. Yeah, I mean, it's. Wow. Uh, That'd be like at, getting in a time machine, man. <laughs> I want to come visit. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, yeah. no, it's funny you say that because you know what I tell people around here? Because I come from Detroit. I say, I'm from the future. Okay. Mm. I know what I know what the future looks like. I'm from the future. Yeah, you better I'm protect Detroit. what you got. Mm-hmm. Because it's going to yeah. be, it, like you, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know, um, I, my, my, I don't know what you think, but I kind of feel like they're just doing like a grand finale right now because uh, with the migration and things and, and just how far they're pushing it at every step, whether it's what they clearly have done with monetary policy to, you know, drop rates so low and now crank them back up. It's just like the late 20s. To me, I I think, I'm not sure if it's going to be a slow bleed like you're saying because I see it as um, they're, they're sort of making their last, he- you know, heavy moves before things just kind of really just take their course, you know. Well, I agree. They've set us up for an implosion with the bubble, but... Uh, they keep pumping it up. I mean, at some point, it'll be that central bank digital currency will be the answer when it implodes. But what is it like four and a half times debt to GDP ratio that's been generated here? It's just insane that's happened. And and all that was just – it's just eels me anyway. Economics is slavery, if you ask me. I just I, – I get – I get fed up with it, but, you know, that's usury-based and all that. I mean, it just – I can get – I can sound naive, I know. I was uh, – Spaceship Earth, I operate manual for Spaceship Earth. It's the first thing I started going by. You know, I'm that kind of old lefty in a way. Not lefty, but, you know, a whole Earth catalog kind of guy. And it's just insane the way it's going. I agree with you that things could pop, but – I, I think they're going to pump it as long as they can. They don't have a back button. It's always or an off button, a, a slowdown. Not even have any brakes now. It's like they're losing the war. Okay, and not only did they get humiliated in Ukraine, but now they can't even quote unquote wipe out Hamas and find the hostages till they can go. That they want to start more wars, and they'll keep on doing that as long as they can. Just as long as. Uh, the show continues, but I don't know how or when it'll pop, but it could. You're right. I, I, I think they'll keep building it up until it does, though, and, and I don't see any change unless people change who's running things. And the people we see that we elect, they're not really running things. It's the guys pulling the strings with the money that are running it. Go ahead, yeah. Trevor. Let me let you respond. Oh, you know, when you were talking about this, you know, I could think of was – 
Detroit is still paying for the sins of Henry Ford. You know, Detroit had to be destroyed because it was such an American success story. But, you know, they, Henry Ford, you know, named the name. And, you know, when all that banking changes was being made, he was the one predicting that this is what's going to happen to America now. And that they, you know, always set us up. You know, I kept thinking of, you know, that we are the world theme and, you know, and, Joe, and Bono out there, you know, doing this big virtue signaling thing about this big globalist dream. And, you know, go back to Solinsky's rules for radicals. And number four is make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. And so one of the things that, you know, one, they consider us their enemy. Uh, that's kind of clear. And that, you know, they want to destroy Western Christian culture. And so this idea of sacrifice and giving, you know, make it unbearable. Yet there's so much burden that's going to destroy you if you try to help like you think you're supposed to per the doctrine, right? So make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. And you see after you know, that we are the world this whole responsibility to protect started entering into the lexicon of R2P, you know, responsibility to protect. We have to see the world as, you know, needing our help and bring all these climate refugees into our countries. And, you know, that was all designed to destroy those existing systems, but it was just wrapped up in a pretty bow of pathological altruism. <laughs> and that's the thing. I write virtue signaling that, oh, isn't it great that, you know, you can't walk in Detroit anymore because it's so diverse? Isn't it great that you can't walk in downtown New Boone, North Kakalaki anymore because it's so diverse? You know, but this is, you know, what they want. And they want us gone. And, you know, you're you're the person out there saying this is what, you know, Detroit's what's coming if you don't stop this now. And, you know, Minnesota... Yeah, it is marked. You know, they want to take that area out. So back to you. They do want yeah, to take I would. it out. And I mean, I think that's why NPR is centered here. NPR has single-handedly destroyed the state. I'm not sure if you're aware of the power of Minnesota Public Radio. Um, NPR just, doesn't do 9-11 truth, neither does the UNC Public Television Network, our public TV. They don't do 9-11 truth. I found that out the hard way back in 2012. But anyway, yeah. back to you. Yeah, I, I mean, they did a few strategic things. I mean, they pulled Garrison Keillor off because he was really a, a bastion of sort of the Minnesota identity. You know, and they, they had to yank him, me to him, for touching a woman's back, I guess. But... They, they put on some guy now that's just totally with the agenda. So it's just not even the same thing. So it's just we're losing our past. We're losing our sense of who we were, you know. Just like just like in the South, you know, whether it's taking down statues or getting rid of iconic mm -hmm. people that are in the mindset, you know. Yeah, that was just it, talked today about that. They, they tore down this statue in Charleston, this – John C. Calhoun statue, and it just the look and see what they replaced these Confederate statues with, or the name of, that they replaced the military base with, and you can see what they have planned for us. So, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, it's 
the way the way that they've done the same thing here, we had actually a Lake Calhoun here. <laughs> they changed the name of that too. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure if it's the same uh, Calhoun, but um, maybe it was. But it, um, yeah, it's just everybody seems to be walking into it. You know, just like uh, you know, you talk about it, it's this Solomon Ash experiment everywhere you go, and and then you just feel you can't say anything because you don't think like other people. And and you can you can sense the slime mold everywhere. Okay, hey, anyway, thanks for the call, sir. Uh, uh, yeah, appreciate gentlemen. it. We'll be right back after the break, folks. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Charles de Gaulle once said, actually, it's difficult to envision in this regard any other criterion, any other standard than gold. Yes, gold, which does not change in nature, which can be made into either bars, ingots, or coins, which has no nationality, and which is considered in all places and all times the immutable and judiciary value par excellence. So when the question is, why gold? It's simple, my friends. The answer to that question is simply, why not? Like it or not, precious metals will always be the world's reserve currency, even though nations do not define their currency by their worth in, say, gold. Individuals still buy gold and silver to protect themselves from inflation. The more money a nation's central bank pours into the economy, the less value its currency, the dollar is, which means the price of everything else rises. $21 up for a bag of dog food, seeing that the dollar's cheap. That's why the cost of everything goes up. It's because the buying power, the value of the dollar is tanked. It's worth nothing. And yet gold that your family would have owned in 1907 will buy at least the same amount of goods, if not far more. William McPhee once stated it's extraordinary how many emotional storms one may weather in safety if one is ballasted with ever so little gold. The truth about money, gold versus cash in a crisis, gold a valuable thing to store, the power of gold in times of crisis. Historical sketch of paper currency. Oh, and beware the Ides of Rare Coin Dealers and Alan Greenspan's speech on gold and economic freedom. How interesting. I'm going to give you gold and silver in five easy lessons. Seeking out the most efficient and most secure route to owning gold and converting it into widely accepted currency is the next best thing to enjoying gold-backed currency, my friends. In a world of central bankers hell-bent on devaluing our savings, you need to own private gold standard. Contact me, Jeffrey Bennett at Kettle Moraine Limited, by calling our phone number at 602-799-8214. That's 602-799-8214. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new ease-off drop-in lift? What in the world is an ease-off drop-in lift? Our Ease-Off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the Ease-Off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my Ease-Off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F 
easeoff.com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Easeoff, LLC, 417-932-6419. They're making the last film They say it's the best And we all help make it It's called the death of the West The kids from fame will all be there Free Coca-Cola for you Hey, welcome back, y'all. You're listening to Beyond the Official Narrative on Republic Broadcasting Network, and man, uh, they're making the last film, The Death of the West. That's we were talking about Hollywood before, and yeah, we've been helping make it. That just that's apt, I, t- I think. Um, and we have another caller, uh, John in uh, Michigan, I believe. Uh, is uh, John? Thanks for calling, sir. Hello, fellas. How are you? Howdy. Thank you. Greetings. Hey, happy uh, Thursday. Hey, happy, happy. <laughs> Hey, uh, hey, I was wondering, I was, I was skimming through, you were talking about World War II and Patton, and, and uh, I was looking through uh, C-SPAN, I was flipping through the channel, C-SPAN, there was a guy that wrote a book about some obscure ambassador to Germany between 1936 and 37, and uh, he, sa- he said he didn't know why Hitler hated the Jews, but... but that, that, that was the author of the book, but he, so it, 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 that sparked my curiosity. So I went to see who the ambassador was for the United States for the Soviet Union during, you know, 1919 to whenever, but we did not have an ambassador to the Soviet Union in uh, 1919, but they returned an ambassador in 1933 after Hitler came to power and then FDR was in. Uh, do you, uh, I wanted to know, do you guys think that the United States knew that the Bolsheviks were killing and massacring people in the Soviet yes. Union? Yes, I think that they knew by... The twenty nineteen twenty. I mean, you know, Lenin was sent by with a bunch of gold to start the whole thing. You know, that's. Let me let you answer that, Fred. But I, I do think so that they did. Yes. Well, you know, it's interesting that you called because I was thinking that when we were talking about it during the first hour. But just to recap for the newbies, on December sixth, nineteen seventeen, the United States government broke off all diplomatic relations with Russia shortly after the Bolshevik Party seized power from the Tsarist regime after the October Revolution, right? This was under President Woodrow Wilson. So you think, okay, that was a big anti-communist push that we're not going to recognize the communists until Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, does so in 1933 on November 16th, right? And so 
one of the things that I find fascinating is people like Henry Ford have, you know, they've got their news apparatus all over the world. And in the 1920s, he's writing about the Red Terror, the Armenian Genocide, and you're calling out the Jewish media is, why are you not covering this? And we don't have any diplomatic channels to monitor it officially, right? And so Uh my question now is, since Wilson sold us out with the Federal Reserve, did he also do this as a way to block people from looking at the horrors of what the Jewish Bolsheviks, Cheka NKVD, were doing to all those white Christians in Russia, in the Ukraine, and in Armenia. So what do you think of that? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's amazing. I, 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 I just think people don't realize how evil our own government has been, how long it's been that they've been evil. You know, and it, and it could be even farther if you go back to Mike Gaddy and all that, you know, I mean, all his research. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah I, I just thought that was interesting that they uh, reestablished diplomatic ties with them once Hitler came to power and then FDR came to power. Because weren't they done pretty much killing? They were, they were on the... They were well, that coming was, that, to the end of killing in the Soviet Union. I, I mean, I know they yeah, were doing the, the holodrome. Yeah, the purge were pretty much over where they had decimated all those old family, you know, power centers. You know, the Cheka, you know, they were basically targeted assassinations of all the, you know, those stubborn Russians that can't be brainwashed, just like we, brain, you know, the they say Southern Christians can't be brainwashed, so we just have to be liquidated in camps. Uh, but, you know, that now... We need to establish not only relationships with the Soviet Union, but wage war with them against Germany now. And, you know, that whole Amalek must perish thing of, you know, Germany must perish. And now the Soviet Union's our best bud, FDR even calling Joseph Stalin Uncle Joe. And -hmm. what's really interesting is... After Stalin dies, there is this major coup in the Soviet Union, and over 10,000 NKV Jews were assassinated during this you know, uh, counter-coup. And that's when the Cold War started, where suddenly, you know, they're the big evil now. We've destroyed Germany. Now the big evil is the Soviet Union post-Stalin. But I just find that little series of events just very interesting that they didn't teach us that at, you know, high school history or college history or university history or none of those PBS made-for-history people mysteries, you know. (laughs) Always leaving these hate facts out. Yeah, it wasn't even in our, it wasn't even in the school books. <laughs> no. no, no. Well, you know, one of the things that killed me was 
In North Sorry, Carolina, ahead, you yeah. studied the Soviet Union in the sixth grade back when I was going through in the 70s. And one of the things they just kept stressing was how those atheistic Soviets shut down all the churches, you know, all the churches. But what they never said anything about was that they never touched a single synagogue. Right. Yes, they tore down all the churches, you know, but didn't touch any synagogues. That's a little line by omission from those Jewish textbook companies. Yeah, very much so. Um, and, and you're right about it going way back. I appreciate the call, sir. And, and, and listen, anything else you like to say? I do have another caller to get to. Okay. Okay. Just one more. Do, do you think Khrushchev was? Uh, he he did the purges on those ten thousand you were talking. Or was he Jewish? It seems that it was uh, one of Stalin's generals who basically pushed it through. Uh, there's a great piece. It's hard to find by a guy that went by one hundred eight Morris one hundred eight, and uh, he did a very interesting short video about that letter, you know, after Stalin uh, was assassinated and, you know, that this is when the whole, you know, Soviet Union West dynamic changed. And I had never heard the things he was talking about in this video, but I, when I went to research this, like it all checked out. So definitely check that out if you can find it. Okay. I ate. Thanks, fellas, for taking my call. Yeah, thanks for the yeah, call. Yeah, thank, thank you. And that I'd like to find that, too. I, that sounds very interesting. Uh, and next up is Joe in Florida. Joe, thanks for the call, sir. Steven, um, hey, Blackbird, how are you guys? There hey, you are, Joe. howdy. Happy Thursday. <laughs> Happy Thursday to hear you. Are you filling in for, for Richard? He's taking a break today? Yes, Richard's fine. He just, uh, you know, a couple of a couple of days off to, to to take care of some things, and you know, we are we, we don't get paid for this. You know, it costs us to do this more than almost. Uh, we've been me and Blackbird have been blowing on these whistles for a while. Our lips are starting to bleed, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, well, we'll uh, yes, sir. He'll be back. Uh, you know? Richard, Richard takes a couple of days off the nerve of him. How outrageous. But anyway, it's it's great to hear. It's more opportunity to hear you two guys, which is a great opportunity. You know, it's funny. You, were, you made me think about this idea, and Dr. E. Michael Jones has talked about it. The rivalry. So we know that Jews are thieves, right? What do they do? They steal, among other things, commit genocide, lie, right? But they, the, among the things they steal uh, is they steal people's history and they steal people's identities. Okay, so I think of you know they did this with uh, uh, the South with Southerners. They they systematically attempted and then stole the identity so that even younger generations of people growing up in the South really don't even have an awareness of the proud history of the, of the Southern states, the great heroes, the great uh, war heroes of the Confederacy. But then the other thing is this history, which I was even unaware of now. I'm like in, I'm around the same age as you guys. I'm, I'm in my mid to late 50s. And when I grew up, the idea of somebody being against World War II was 
it wasn't even something that was even discussed. It was not even the realm of possibility. It took me many, many years, most of my life, to find out not only was the overwhelming majority of Americans, like I'm talking 90 or 95 percent, I heard there was some kind of study, in the mid-30s to late-30s, thoroughly convinced that America had no business fighting a war in Europe between, you know, getting on one side between people who we have absolutely no connection to. And I mentioned Dr. Michael Johnson. He explains it this way. So there was the America First movement, right? And this was primarily, you guys were referencing before. So we had Charles Lindbergh was one of the main leaders. The second main leader was uh, Henry Ford. And the third was Father Charles Coughlin, the great uh, so-called radio priest. And this was a very powerful movement. Um, The opponent was the Wall Street crowd or the Jewish power structure in New York made up of, guess who, mainly Russian Jews. You know, uh, the Russian Jews had moved into New York and were increasing their power. So in the end, not only did the Russian Jews win out against this vast majority of Americans in the South, but also in the Midwest, in Michigan, John Stadmiller's great home state, I think it was, And they defeated that movement, the America First movement. But then what did they do? They literally stole the history from Americans so that if you're under the age of 60 today, most Americans are not even aware that this battle went on, that most of America was very strongly against even getting into World War II. What do you think? Well, well, and then they engineered they, they engineered Pearl Harbor so they would be outraged as much as possible too. That op- exactly what was the call, yeah. And it, we were in the war before we were in the war illegally with them meeting off the coast of uh, Newfoundland. Him and Churchill planning it out ahead of time. It was it was manipulated behind the scenes the whole time. We did we definitely didn't want to be fighting that war to, any more than they wanted to the first world war. You know, it's, it's no business. People have to be exactly. manipulated, exactly. And worked up to fight that way. Yeah, let me let you and, respond, uh, Frederick. Yeah. And, I'll just say say really quick is that so they commit they did this political act where they sabotage and hijacked America's, you know, uh, foreign policy, basically, in order to trap us into getting into that war. Uh, uh, Another war for the Jews. We have to say that about World War Two. Another war for the Jews. We know the truth about it. Right. But then after they succeeded in getting into it and the, 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 the disaster for America, really, that it ultimately was. Then they go beyond the pale and they start, like I said, stealing history so that not only people didn't even uh, didn't want to get into it. They didn't want anyone in future generations to know how vastly unpopular it was among the American people who were totally opposed to getting into the war. So they steal the history. You know, I was reminded earlier today of the 
what they really wanted to do uh, was wipe Germany out, too. They wanted to completely wipe them out. The, what was it called? The Morgenthau Plan. And before right. uh, this Cold War started, they wanted to keep them from reproducing for one generation, basically, and wipe them out so that they would. And it was a clergy plan on steroids, basically. They wanted to get it done right then. And then I guess the thing that happened with the Soviet Union and then with the um, Cold War starting made them to think, second guess that. But otherwise, that that's where we were headed then. And now they want to do that to the whole world. They want to get the whole world to stop reproducing for a generation, at least the white people. I mean, you know, that they can do that, then one generation and, and they and we're gone. Fun fact about World War II, all those Germans and Poles that made up the majority of the American Midwest heartland were convinced of this great and noble war by none other than Cedric Adams, who is the person who started the Adams journalism. Cedric Adams made his voice, uh, made his name working for CBS to basically be the anti-Father Coughlin, right? And they basically, <laughs> uh, FDR used the new FCC laws to take Father Coughlin off the air. Meanwhile, they were synthetically amplifying Cedric Adams, who was known as the voice of the Midwest, to convince us that we had to go to war. And his son, Stephen Adams, uh, went to Yale with skull and bones with you know uh, all the people like the Bush family, the Clintons, you know uh, John Kerry. So you know the satanic homosexual uh, skull and bones fraternity. He's the guy who has Adams Publishing here in the Appalachian Mountains, converting all of these newspapers and radio stations into selling the idea that diversity good. You know, immigration, good, homosexuality, good, LGBTQ pride, good, white people, bad. White people should go away. And so you've got a multi-generation, multi-millionaires. All these people have so much money, uh, the Adams family. But they, you know, they sold, you know, World War II, the people that were completely against it. And now they're selling the Calergi plan and the Cloward Piven plan to the people of Appalachia. And they wow. are you know, buying it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that history. That's great. Thanks for that. I mean, yeah, it makes sense too, because, um, you know, uh, the, the way that they get their power is look, if there was a battle, right, if there was a, a, a physical battle, uh, where Jews and the people that are controlled by Jews fought physically against, uh, let's say, the majority of the people in this country. Well, you know, if they won that battle, that's that would be a win, right? It'd be a physical war or whatever it was. The more deceptive nature of these people, right, is precisely the way they engage in this war. It's a even back at that time. These were psyops. This is a psychological war. People are going to be try to convince people, have people become convinced that uh, your brother is your enemy. I know that this is a Jewish plan, basically that they want. For instance, you know, there's a lot of Scotch Irish in the in the in the South. 
Well, you know, not for nothing. Uh, I'm an Irish-American, right? And we're, we, uh, largely historically, there's a divide between Protestantism and Catholicism. But guess what? Other than that, there's a whole damn lot the same we have in common. And I know that there's actually a lot of Irish, Scotch that have relatives in the North. Uh, and somehow, somehow the forces that created the war between the states got these Christian brothers to kill each other uh, in, the, in the tens of thousands outrageously at that time, even then. Yeah, then they did it again with the, like you said, with the Poles and Germans in World War II, too, sending them over there, convincing them that it was just cause and all that. That I'm sick of these masters of war. You know, they wage war by way of deception, Joe. Thought criminals wage peace by way of the truth. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, oh, can I bring up something? Well, just I saw some breaking news before. I mean, it's, sure. if, if you don't mind, you because know, I was watching yeah. RT. It's not necessarily. I mean, they're reporting. RT is reporting that uh, the, the the Biden administration has approved uh, attacking, like say, Iranian personnel in Iraq and Syria. Now, there's no announcement of what the strike is, but that they're they're saying that this is, was approved. So their plan, which is to me, uh, is funny, the Nikki Haley plan, right? Uh, here's Joe Biden mm-hmm. carrying out the Nikki Haley plan, right? So she she the Hindu witch Nimrata, right? She says, "Oh, hit them, take out their leaders." You see that clip from Nikki Haley? We should take out their leaders, uh, two Iranian, some several Iranian leaders. So apparently now this is the plan that this administration is actually approved that they're going to do like I guess a Soleimani attack, and they're going to do it in Iraq and Syria. Yes. Now the thing that I gets me to point out just- that Soleimani was taken out by Trump too, man. I mean, this is just always doing Israel's bidding. It no matter exactly. who's in there. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, Joe. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're exactly right to point that out. Uh, his uh, Trump's Jewish daughter, right? Uh, how did that happen? Hello. And uh, his son-in-law, who so strongly uh, lobbied to have that Soleimani attack, right? Oh, this was what I think he did it for them. I think remember that that traitor John Bolton was in the administration at the time. But anyway, so it seems like this is the attack that that they've already decided. Who knows? Maybe it will be announced tonight or tomorrow that they've that they've done these now the thing there's two things that are really alarming to me about this because this is the israelification of american defense policy right israel has a long history of these targeted assassinations which you know in the civilized world for hundreds of years it's always been considered out of bounds you don't assassinate leaders primarily because it doesn't really have any good impact if you're in a war, they will replace that person. It's not going to stop them. But this is the Jewish way of thinking that Israel has been doing for decades, where they're targeting this person. Targeting. So this is like an, an example of what's happening in America now, is that somehow we think, and we take a I don't, top leader of, I don't know, what is it, uh, Hezbollah, this, this group, Iraq, uh, Islamic resistance in Iraq, which I, I don't believe is a real organization. So that's the first thing that's disturbing. The other thing that really disturbs me is this, this this uh, ratcheting up of 
uh, 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 retaliation, even at the same time where they're saying, oh, well, well we're trying to avoid uh, retaliating and, and expanding this war while they are literally retaliating. What do you guys think? Well, I'm reminded that right before the summer before 9-11, they were talking about sending U.S. Marines to Gaza, too. I mean, it's just it's just I don't know. It, it, it's stupid that we keep doing things like this. They don't have a, a break. You know, they, it, more war is always the answer. And it, it doesn't matter who's in there. And, and I'm sick of it, man. I don't know. I, I think that um, they probably won't to escalate things with Hezbollah too. They can't even they can't complete the thing they said they were going to do in Gaza, but never mention never mind what happened up there in Ukraine too, but they're going to get more going. And if they can drag us into it, all the better. Frederick, let me let you respond to that too, sir. Oh, great point. And yeah, yeah. Tob Shebe Goyam Harag aren't just pretty Yiddish words. It's kill the best Gentiles. And this, this is part of Jewish culture at the axiomatic level that they are going to look at the Gentile leadership and say that is a valid target if they're not working for our interests. And anybody who goes against our interest or the Jewish people's interest makes themselves a valid target by Talmudic law. This is how these people think, you know. And one of the things we get wrapped up in is we're playing by these civilized game rules of warfare that they, our adversary, has no such game rules, you know. So this is what we're up against. So back to you, real quick. Uh, great. Hey, listen, no, guys. Thanks, great thanks show thanks. tonight. Thank you so much. Well, thanks very much show. for the call, Joe. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me, too, Frederick. And we're on the way out. And I'll be back tomorrow night with the Roundtable RBN. Thanks very much. Remember, Thought Crime a Day helps keep tyranny at bay. Y'all be good, Thanks so much. Have a good night. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. One of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs. For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.